morning, guys. How's everybody doing this morning? Doing good? Good. Glad to hear that. Hey, see if you agree with this statement. I kind of agree with it, but people are different. Do you agree with the following? How you dress impacts how people perceive you. Would you agree with that? The way you dress sends out an image of who you are. Usually dress for the occasion if you're having a job interview, so you dress a little bit nicer, right? So do you agree with me that how you dress impacts the way people perceive you? I remember when Pastor Chad, many years ago, asked me if I would preach for the first time. I was really nervous. I was a little bit excited. Yeah. And I told him yes. Side note, some of you know this, and the ones that don't, I hold the record for the shortest sermon here at Grace Bible Church. My very first time that I preached, I think I clocked in like in 12 minutes. Some people were super excited. I love it in and out. We're out of here. But some people were really disappointed. They came up to me and said, you know what? I didn't even get a chance to take a nap. That's how short it was. So I remember telling Chad, sure, sure, I'll do it. I went and I told my wife and she asked me, what are you going to wear? I never thought of that. So we went shopping. And every time I picked out a shirt, she'd look at me and say, no. Nah. So I picked out another one. No. Finally, I told her, you pick one for me. And she picked this one out. And I said, really? Is that me? And she asked me, do you want to look like a young, in-style, happening pastor? And I think she was insinuating that the pastors back then were dressing like old, out-of-style pastors. So I said, sure. So I got up. I put on my new shirt and preached the shortest sermon ever. But see, we do that. We want to leave an impression on how people see us by the way we dress, how we look on the outside. And I love what Chuck Swindoll says. He says this, clothing doesn't change who you are inside, but who you are inside does affect your choice of clothing. See, on the inside, I want to look like a young, in-style pastor. But honestly, no matter how much clothing I put on the outside, I was still an older 51-year-old pastor. See, we feel and think this. You look good, you feel good. But the truth is, church, that a lot of us, a lot of us on the outside say we're good, but on the inside, we're not good. See, the truth is this, church, a lot of us are trying to change ourselves from the outside in. But the truth is, the only way to change is from the inside out. Today we continue our series on Ephesians, and Paul is going to tell us how we do that. As a matter of fact, he's going to tell us that before we can actually change... We need to take off some old habits, some old rags. And then when we're changed on the inside, then we can put on new clothing, new style. So if your Bibles with you, please open them up to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to pick off where we left off last week in verse 25. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. 
And let me give you today's sermon point and what we're going to flesh out. And here it is. New life in Christ is new lifestyle with Christ. If you say you have a new life with Christ, then your new lifestyle has to be in him, with him, imitating him. New life in Christ, new lifestyle with Christ. Chapter 4, Ephesians, verse 25, let's pick up, and this is what Paul says. He says, therefore, now let me just pause for just a second, because every time you see that word, therefore, in the Bible, you need to ask yourselves, what is it there for? And every time you see that word, it transitions back to what he last said. And if you recall, last week, Paul said this. If we are a new creation in Christ, if we're truly in him, we need to take off our old self. We need to renew our minds with the Holy Spirit. And then we need to put on the new self, which belongs to Christ Jesus. So he begins, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry, he says, and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion. That it may give grace to those who hear. And, not, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Now listen, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Paul mentions five virtues, five virtues when it comes to having that new lifestyle with Christ. Let me make two quick observations before we continue. The first is all these virtues that he's listed, the five virtues, not only does it affect our relationship with others, it affects our relationship with God. The other observation I want you guys to take note is that every single virtue that we just read, Paul uses three things. Now notice what he's going to say. We're going to go back and flesh him out. He says this. First of all, he says, put off your old self. Take something off. And then he says, put on. But then he gives us the reason why we need to do these things. In a nutshell, what he's saying is what not to do, what to do, why we should do it. So let's go back and flesh out these five virtues that Paul has just given us in what we just read. What not to do. Not only that, what we should do and the reason for it. First thing that he mentions is this, from falsehood to truth for unity. He says, take off falsehood, put on truth so that you can be united. Verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. This word falsehood includes all sorts of lying, church. No such thing as a little white lie. There's definitely no such thing as half a lie. Half a lie is a whole lie. Some of us think, well, it was just a little lie, so we won't hurt one another. No, every single 
falsehood is a lie. Flattery, plagiarism, all these things is included in this word falsehood, breaking promises, and I can go on and on and on. But notice, he says, get rid of lying, all of it, but put on truth. What is the truth? Paul told us last week, Jesus is the truth, the only truth. Put on the truth. He says, speak truth with your neighbor. Why? We are members one of another. Paul is reminding us on how we need to be united. There is unity in community and church. You cannot trust a person who lies. Church, you cannot have an authentic relationship if there's no trust, period. As church, as church members, you can't have a relationship with trust with, with pastors if you don't trust us. An authentic relationship can happen if there is no trust, period. With your children, with your coworker, with your boss, with your spouse. So important because remember, relationships are built on trust. And trust is built on truth. There needs to be truth in order for the community to live in unity. The second virtue that Paul mentions is this. From rage to controlled anger to prevent sin. From rage to controlled anger to prevent sin. Verse 26, he says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. In the original language, this is the way it would read. In your anger, do not sin. What Paul is saying, don't allow your anger to drive your behavior. That's what he's saying. And church, in scripture, there's two types of anger. There's righteous anger and unrighteous anger. Righteous anger is the anger that God has against sin. God hates sin. And if God hates sin, we should hate sin also. Let me say this. As we look around our community, I believe as a church, if we are to be the light, we need to have more righteous anger when it comes to sin. But what we do, and let's be honest, look around, we turn a blind eye to sin. As long as they're happy, you do you. Church, we parade sin, we glorify sin, we legalize sin. I am not getting political. Don't send me emails. I'm being biblical. And so God says, I hate, hate sin as his church. We too should hate sin. But notice, he mentions three negatives, three no's. He says this, be angry but do not sin. We need to make sure that our anger is not out of malice or revenge or pride. But he also says, be angry and do not let the sun go down on your anger. He is not literally saying, you better not go to sleep angry. That is not what he's saying. He's saying, don't pull it out. Don't take too much time with your anger. Don't nurse your anger. Put a time limit on it. Don't hold a grudge. Don't be resentful. Church, I don't know if you know this, but if you don't deal with anger and resentment, it doesn't get any better. It gets bigger and you get bitter. 
That's the truth. The third thing he says, be angry, but do not give the opportunity to the devil. The longer we let a broken relationship go with anger and resentment, the easier it will be for Satan to come in and divide. And that's his primary goal, is to divide his church, Christ's church. Third virtue, Paul says, from dishonest gain to honest gain for generosity. From dishonest gain to honest gain for the purpose of being generous. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Just like lying, this word stealing is all sorts of theft from shoplifting, from cheating on your taxes, from showing up late to work, to taking off early from work, from wasting time at work, all sorts of theft from going to Rudy's, Rudy's or whatever restaurant and you're asking for a water cup, but you go to the fountain drink and you get a soda. That's stealing. And that's what Paul is saying. Get rid of any sort of stealing. But notice, again, he says, take that off, but put on working. Honest work. We need to provide for ourselves, for our family, and for others. Notice, again, you live in the same country as I do. People don't want to work. We become lazier and lazier and lazier, dependent on others to work for us. Not political, biblical. But that's what Paul is saying. If you can work, work. He says that the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. Why? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. If someone's not working, if someone is just stealing, if someone is dependent on others, then he can't give anything to anyone. He cannot be generous. And Paul is saying work so that you can share and be generous to those that need generosity. Let me stop here, church. As I was preparing for the sermon, I thought of my Grace family. I want to thank you for being so generous. Honestly, you don't know your generosity, what it's doing. You really don't know. Not only are we sharing God's word, which is so important, but we're mending relationships, marriages, all sorts of needs are being met because of your generosity. Thank you. Because of your generosity, we have ministries like Help Your Neighbor. We have ministries like the Benevolence Fund where people like you give to those in need in our community. Thank you for your generosity because that's what we're called to do as his church. Be generous to those that need. He goes on, he says this. From destructive to constructive speech for grace. From destructive to constructive speech for grace. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion. What Paul is saying, wherever it is needed, wherever it's absent, that it may give, give grace to those who hear. We are called, listen, this is so important. We are called to build each other up, not tear each other down. He's saying, 
Come alongside of each other. Encourage one another. Love one another. Be your brother's biggest cheerleader. Remember what Paul says in chapter 2, verse 22. In him you also were being built up together in community into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And see, for many of us, constructive speech, when we build each other up, it's absent in our lives. We gossip. We're unkind to each other. We use foul language. You know where I see this the most, church? This destructive language, tearing down. I see this the most in marriages. The way some of you speak to each other, cussing at each other, tearing each other down. Let me say this, men. Don't get me started. If you cuss at your wife, if you tear her down, you're not a man. You're a coward. I can have a whole bunch of men to back me up with that. We need to build each other up, especially in a marriage. And that will expand into the community. Building one another up. Encouraging. Not destroying one another with our words. Honestly, church, I think we really need to take the advice of the little bunny that we see in Bambi. You guys remember little bunny, Thumper? Do you remember what he says? If you have nothing good to say, don't say anything at all. See the result, church? When we show kindness and build each other up, the result is grace. People get to see grace. But on the flip side, the result, when we destroy each other, when we tear each other down, the result, next verse. Look what Paul says. Verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When we tear each other down, the result is that the Holy Spirit is grieved. The definition of grieve is this. is to cause someone to be sad, sorrowful, or distressed. To make sad, to sadden. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit with your speech. The last thing that Paul mentions, and this is a big one. This is huge, and I believe this is why Paul left it at the very end. It's this. From bitterness and anger to kindness and forgiveness, imitating Christ. From bitterness and anger to kindness and forgiveness, imitating Christ. Verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. The idea here, church, is a little different than the others. The idea here is not only to take it off, but to put it out in the street, to burn it, to get rid of it completely, no matter what. I know, I know because I know that some of you have been hurt, if not all of you. I know because I know that some of you have been betrayed some of you are being hurt as I speak right now. I know it. But the truth is this, church. Usually the people we love the most hurt us the most. But also the people we hurt the most are the ones that we love the most. But you know what? You know who hurts the most when you're holding on to all of this? When you're hurting on to bitterness, anger, clamor, malice, the person that you are hurting the most is yourself. So Paul is asking you, asking me, no matter what it is, let it go. Let it go. How? 
verse 32. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. If you are a believer, if you proclaim to be a Christ follower, you need to be kind to one another, tenderhearted to one another, but you need to forgive as God in Christ forgave you. I'm probably thinking right now, but you don't understand, Pastor. The pain that they're causing me. You don't understand what they did to me. You don't understand. I get it. I get it. But as Christians, as this church, we're not called to forgive because they deserve it. We are called to forgive because we have been forgiven. God has forgiven us of our trespasses through Jesus Christ at the cross. He shouldn't have, but he did. We feel we shouldn't, but we must. We must forgive. I love what Andy Stanley writes in this book I read, Enemies of the Heart. He says this, when someone hurts you, we get an attitude of, you owe me. You took something from me. You owe me. You took my marriage. You took my time. You took my children. You took my trust. So you owe me. And so what we do in our hearts, we open this account that needs to be paid by the one that hurt us. But as long as we have this account still open, we're not going to move forward. And let me also say this. If this is you who still have unforgiveness, bitterness in your heart, who still has that account open, here's the truth. If you believe that that person owes you, he or she can't pay you back. Think about it. The time that a father, that a mother was not there in your childhood can't bring it back. The words that a spouse has said to you, the way they acted, they can't back turn, can't back, can't turn back time. So close that account in your heart as God has closed his account for us. That's how you get rid of this anger. Forgiveness, church. Man, forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness, church. Forgiveness is not fair. But you know what forgiveness is? Forgiveness is freedom. It really is freedom. What are you holding on to right now? What are you holding on that's holding you down? That's holding you back from letting go and not being enslaved to your anger, to your bitterness to your malice. I read back years ago that some places, the way they capture apes, this is the way they do it. They have this log and they made a, make a hole in this log and put a banana in the log. And so the ape is able to go into the hole and grab the banana, but when he makes a fist, that hole becomes small and can't let out. He is captured. And they come and they enslave him, they kill him. And all that ape has to do is let go. Church, all you have to do is let go. You will see a change. A change. A relief that you can move forward in walking in unity in Jesus Christ. New life in Christ. 
new lifestyle with Christ. If you want that new lifestyle, if Christ is truly in you, you need to make a change today, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. What would it look like if in your life, if today, today, you got rid of lying and you only spoke the truth? Imagine what kind of community you would build, what kind of relationship you would have. Imagine if today you controlled your anger and not act out in malice and revenge, banging things, yelling at things. Imagine what change you would do in your family. Imagine if you would work harder, not for yourself, but for others and being more generous. Imagine if you would, we as a church, build each other up in community, strengthening one another, not tearing each other down. Imagine if today you forgave and you let it go no matter the circumstance, no matter who it was. Imagine if you would just let go and receive God. I know what would happen. The Holy Spirit would not be grieved. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit would be jumping up for joy. That's what we're called to do. That's who we're called to be. And that's who Grace Bible Church should be. Let's pray. Father, we do give you thanks and praise for your words. But more importantly, Father, for your action. Father, work us. Work in us. Work through us. So that we can be a church, a true church, living out your word. Letting go of the way we used to live. Putting off all the things that are holding us back. And Father, I just, I just want to pray that if anyone here is just holding on in anger, wanting something different, that difference begins in them through you. To forgive to forgive and move forward. Not an option, not easy to do, but to truly understand that we have been forgiven, so we must forgive. Father, I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Have a great week, church. Love you guys.